Well, good morning again. Thanks for coming back. It's good. It's a good start. Um, our second talk, as Mark said, is from uh, what we say is a great commission from Jesus in Matthew 28. Uh, I'm going to pray again and ask God to ask to open our eyes and our hearts to his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord God, so much for your presence with us. Uh, and Lord, even as we hear uh, the raindrops falling upon the roof, we praise you and we, we think of how you always provide for us. Uh, how you provide water, you provide food, you provided your only son. You gave us your only son uh, to be that perfect once and for all sacrifice. Uh, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord God, for your living word, your living word that pierces through our hearts. And Lord, that is what we need. Lord, we need your word to expose our hearts and to open us up to yourself. Uh, Lord, by your spirit, would you please plant your word deep into our hearts and give us what we need to respond to you rightly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Let me ask you are, you, are you an influencer? Are you an influencer? Over the past few years, this term influencer has been quite common, to my surprise. What is an influencer? What in the world am I talking about? This is the definition of influencer. This is the proper definition. Okay, so someone who has the power to affect the purchasing decisions of others because of his or her authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with their audience. Okay, that's the definition. 20 years ago, if you asked someone if they were an influencer, they'd look at you funny. Now, if you don't know what an influencer is, you, you get looked at funny. It, it, but it's very, it's very common, apparently. There, there, apparently, there's YouTube influencers, there's TikTok influencers, there's Instagram influencers. And these people, all they do is they put up these videos and posts on their platforms, their social media platforms, and they've got millions upon millions of people following them. And it's not surprising that the number one social media influencer is, can you guess, the number one social media influencer? Jesus. No. <laughs> he's, a, he's a sportsman. Cristiano Ronaldo, well done. Yes, he's got 787 million people following him on social media. I think he's a great soccer player, but I don't think he needs that many followers. 787 million. Cristiano Ronaldo. He's a... Yeah, you know, so of course you know Ronaldo. Everyone knows Ronaldo. Now, Ronaldo we know, but there are dozens of others who have millions upon millions of people following them. People who I've never heard of myself. Obviously, they haven't influenced me. Um, but they have millions of others following them on things like travel just life, you know, general life things, tech, sports, cooking, all sorts of stuff. Now, some of you have no idea what in the world I'm talking about because you, you're not on social media. Don't worry, you're in good company. I had to look this stuff up myself. I'm only on Facebook and even still, I don't have it on my phone. I just have to, I actually have to go on my laptop to see what's happening on Facebook. Mark's very active though on Facebook. <laughs> you can have a chat with him about social media. But whether you're on social media or not, whether you know much about influencers or not, uh, here's some news for you. We're all influencers. We're all influencers. We are people who influence others 
and we are people who are influenced by others. We're all influencers. I mean, just have a look at the people you hang around with, uh, your friends, your family members, your co-workers. Do you speak like them? You'd be surprised. Do you think like them? Do you dress like them? Probably do. If you're a parent, do you see yourself in your kids? Do you cringe when they say that expression that you know they learnt from you? It's generally me. And Dina, my wife, she says, oh, they got that one from you. You better watch what you say. Okay, okay, darling. Whether you like it or not, you're an influencer. The question is, how will you use your influence? And my hope is that as we go through this beautiful passage, that we can be convicted that our purpose is to influence others, uh, but to influence in the way of making disciples. I influence in the way where those people that you hang out with would be convicted, would, would love the Lord Jesus, would delight in him and would follow him. That's the type of influence that we want. That's the type of impact we want to have on others. Helping them to become followers of Jesus or helping them grow as followers of Jesus. And that's actually discipleship. You want a definition of discipleship? As a follower of Jesus, that's discipleship. That's what we talked about the first talk. Secondly, how do I make disciples? We help others know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the first thing. Secondly, is to help followers of Jesus grow in their walk with Jesus. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, and you might think, well, it sounds pretty simple, I guess, but Jesus actually tells us exactly what this looks like. He completely defines it for us in the Great Commission. How do we go about this, this charge of making disciples? Well, it's found here in Matthew 28. And this command he's, he's given just before he ascends to heaven, and he gives it to his disciples. But he doesn't just give it to his disciples then, he gives it to his disciples now. And so this commission is also for us, not just for them. You with me? Okay, let's get into the passage. Now, we're going to talk about four things today. It's in your outline, making disciples. Firstly, being a disciple. Secondly, going. Thirdly, teaching. Fourthly, relying. Okay, let's look at this passage, Matthew 28, 16 to 17. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, where are we? Again, this is after the resurrection. Uh, do, you remember that, do you remember that scene where the, the, the angel rolls the stone outside the grave? The women had gone to the, to the tomb and they're confronted by the angel who says to them, don't be afraid, you're looking for Jesus, he's not here. Yes, he was crucified, but he's not there, he, he's risen. And so Jesus appears to these women and tells them to tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee, which is interesting that he tells them that. Because in Matthew, which is where we get the Great Commission, Jesus begins his mission in Galilee. And he tells the women, tell the, my disciples to go to Galilee, which again gives us this pointer. He returns to the place where he first made disciples, and he's going to tell them to make disciples there. What does he tell us? Jesus was in the business of making disciples. And his disciples will continue that mission of making disciples. 
And so being a follower of Jesus will automatically mean that we're appointed to this mission. We're commissioned on this mission of making disciples. It's part and parcel. It's not an optional extra. But discipleship here is not one of those religious duties that we do. It's not a tick the box sort of thing. It's actually a response. And we see it here. It's a response of being a disciple. It's a response of being that disciple that we talked about in that first talk. And actually I was, I was, uh, we were chatting after, uh, during morning tea, about how Peter, he's, he's a work in progress, isn't he? You know, he, he needed to be restored, needed to be commissioned. But he's still a work in progress. Even in Acts, he's a work in progress. God has re- reveals to him that there's no such thing as clean and unclean. And he sends him to Cornelius to spread the message to Gentiles. He's a work in progress just like we are a work in progress. We haven't arrived. Isn't like we, we wait until God finishes his work with us, then we make disciples. No, no, no. Once we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, once we are disciples, we are charged to make disciples. It is our DNA. It's part of our worship to God. But it's not a duty. It's a response. It's a response to what he has given us. It's a response to the love and grace and mercy that he's given us. It's a response to who we are in Christ. If I'm united to Christ and Christ was in the business of making disciples, then me being in him means that I'm also captivated by this task of making disciples. Are you with me? Where do I get this, where do I get this response from? Well, I, I get it here because have a look at verse 17. Look at the response of the disciples. When they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him. But some doubted. You know when you've... Um, I was telling Mark yesterday, I love whales. So we, we've, we, went on a, um, we went on a cruise a couple of years ago and then last year, uh, this year we went to Kayama. And just, just Kayama is a southern part of New South Wales. We just sit there anywhere. And in winter you could just see and you could just see the whales. And it's beautiful. I'm captivated by their size and their beauty. But for you, it could be something else. It could be just a beautiful part of the world. Or it could be a historic, you know, a historic land or, or like the pyramids in Egypt. Or you know, Trust me to pick the pyramids. Um, or someone famous that you see. You know? Yes, I, I came from, come from Egypt. And it wows you. It stuns you. You think, oh, wow, it's amazing. It overwhelms you. But th- it stops there for you. But for here, the disciples aren't just struck. They're not just overwhelmed. They're not just stunned. They're moved to worship. And this is discipleship. It's firstly this reverence and submission and worship of Jesus alone that results in us wanting others to experience him. To know him as Lord and Savior. I'm so captivated by his love and his grace and his mercy that I want others to experience this. To know this. And I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm always in that frame of mind. Of course not. We're all weak. But this is the discipleship. The response of true discipleship is that you want others to know this beautiful Lord and Savior that you know. This Lord who says to you, come, come and rest in me. This Lord who says to you, it is finished upon the cross. This Lord who says to you, my hope, your hope is in me. Your only hope is in me. This Lord who says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This Lord, you want this Lord for others whom you love. That's making disciples. But it starts with the worship of the Lord Jesus. For ourselves, 
personally to be captivated by his love. That's where it starts. And have a look. I mean, some even, some even doubted. They were just so stunned they doubted. And this is not like they didn't have faith. But their faith and joy was sort of, it sort of tingled. It was mingled with, with his hesitation. Was this really Jesus who's risen? I mean, it's amazing. This is the guy who just got killed on the cross. He's risen. He's in front of me. But even then, Jesus meets their needs. He wants to reassure them. Yes, it's me. Have a look verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hey, yes, I've suffered, but I'm sovereign. Yes, I'm the suffering servant who you saw, that, that man of sorrows who carried the cross, who was bleeding, who was spat on. Yes, that was me. But I'm also king. It was all God's plan. All authority has been given to me. Yes, I've died, but I've risen. I'm victorious. I'm sovereign. All authority has been given to me. Be assured of that. So Jesus says. That's where it starts, to be honest. You see, if it was up to them or if it was up to us, we would fail. But because he's sovereign and all authority in heaven has been given to him, then we trust that whatever he calls us to, whatever he commissions us to do, he is with us and he has control over it. And so he comes to us like he comes to them and reassures us. All authority has been given to me. And that's the gospel. Yes, he has died, but he's risen. Yes, he's the suffering servant. But he is sovereign. He's risen. And we follow a risen king who is sovereign and all authority has been given to him. Yes, you will doubt. Yes, you'll, you'll be threatened by what the world says about Jesus. The weakness, the foolishness of the world. That's what it is. Don't doubt. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. We follow a risen Savior who is sovereign. And he tells us to go, regardless of how hard it is, regardless of the threat that faces us, regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the cost. He says, I'm sovereign and I'm giving you this commission and I will be with you. Go. Don't believe what the world says. Believe what Jesus says. And this is what he says. And so that's the first thing. We've got to trust. We've got to follow him, but we've got to trust him as sovereign. We've got to be his disciple. And following him means that we trust him. We trust in his sovereignty. Being a disciple. Secondly, we are to go. Trusting in his sovereignty, trusting in what he has done for us, trusting that we, our life is in him and our hope is in him, regardless of the cost, we go. That's the second thing. Have a look at verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As disciples, we are to go. We're to make disciples of all nations. All nations. And what's beautiful about this is that this is God's heart from the very beginning. Do you remember the promise that he gave to Abraham in Genesis 12? Do you remember that he promised him a, a great nation, a huge family? And what was that people going to do? What was the people of God purpose to do? It's to worship him, absolutely, but to be a blessing to whom? To the nations. This is God's heart from the beginning, but the people of God in the Old Testament failed. And they failed miserably, actually, to be a blessing to the nations. They fell into idolatry. 
They fell into sin. They weren't a blessing. But now through Christ, who's come, who's the perfect, the perfect son of God, the perfect people of God, the perfect Israelites in his perfect obedience and his death on the cross and his resurrection, through him, this promise to Abraham now takes shape. The blessing of salvation now flowing through him can go to all the nations. And so Jesus says to the disciples, go, go to all nations. And for us, that doesn't mean much, Jew and Gentile, but for them it was huge. You know what it is for us? For us, it's, I think that person will become Christian. I don't think that person will be. So I, I'm going to choose to go to that person. We, we start being selective. Or we think, hmm, I reckon that person is more deserving, to be honest. I don't think that person, knowing their life, knowing... Sorry, I'm pointing at I'm not pointing at you. <laughs> <laughs> this is a point at Put it on the roof or something. That's all right. Um... I think that person is never going to turn to Jesus. You know what? We know what we do when we sort of make those decisions. We're putting our place in the place of God, really. We're judging. We, we are selecting. It's his choice, not ours. And he says, go. The second barrier that we place in ourselves, in front of ourselves, is this, this thing of, oh, I can't go. I'm not old enough. Yes, I'm looking at the younger ones here. I'm not experienced enough. Or I haven't been a Christian for that long. I'm not a pastor. I'm not, I'm not a missionary. Uh, God hasn't given me the, the gift of evangelism. I can't go. And I, 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 I get it. But Jesus says to all of us to go. He doesn't just say it to the pastors and the missionaries and the, and the teachers. No, no, no. He says all of us, go. I mean, you might ask, well, all right, I'll go. But where do I go? Do I have to go overseas? I don't want to go overseas. I can't get on a plane. I'm too scared. You don't have to go overseas. <laughs> you don't have to become a pastor. Think about, think about the place that God has placed you now. The context that God has placed you now. Think about uh, your home, your family. Uh, think about your neighborhood. Where, where, who has God placed around you? Your place of schooling or work. Your hobbies, if you play soccer during the week or wherever you do, or you, the retirement home that you're in, whatever you are, wherever you are. God has placed you in his providence in that place and he's placed the people around you in his providence and he says to you and to me, go. And believe you me, I'm not an expert at this. I'm an introvert. My comfort zone is to be with myself <laughs> and with those who I'm most comfortable with. You throw me in a group of a lot of people who I don't know, and it's hard. But God says to me, go. Go and share the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus. Go. So where has God placed you? You know this. You can answer me. Where has he placed you? And who has he placed in your life? They're the ones. Go. Tell them about the Lord Jesus. Tell them who you are in Christ. Tell them what he has done for you. Tell them about his love. Tell them about his sacrifice on the cross. Tell them about his victorious resurrection. Tell them about what he means to you now. Show them who Christ is. Show them by your love. Show them by your care. Show them by your sincerity. 
it's not just about blurting the gospel and walking away. It's about living the gospel to them. To our friends, to our neighbours, to our family. In school, at uni, at the gym, on the soccer field, in the retirement home, wherever God placed you, go. It's daunting. It's a daunting task. So what do we do? Let me encourage you. We can pray for one person. Okay, I've just told you where God's placed you, who God's placed in your life. Think of one, think of one person that you can pray for. I have this friend, his name is Martin. And since I was young, since I was a, you know, in high school, this is a guy who was zealous, so zealous to tell people about Christ. He's in youth ministry, he's been in youth ministry for 30 years. But he still follows me up, even though I'm, not, I'm nowhere near youth. Um, he still follows me up, sees how I'm going, sees how ministry is going. And he'll continue to ask me, um, send me the people that you're praying for. And that reminds me that I should always have someone that I'm praying for to spread the gospel to, to speak to about. And I, w- I want to share with you just the, the amazing way God uses us to spread the gospel. This same Martin, one day... He, his car was broken down. He's on the side of the road. He calls NRMA. The NRMA person comes and yeah, gets out of the car, fixes the car, and they get into a conversation. And, and uh, the, the guy says to Martin, Martin's South American. So the guy says, oh, you're, you're South American. And he goes, yes. He goes, do you like soccer? And Martin says, yeah, of course I love soccer. And he says, you know what? My son is playing soccer in Italy at the moment. I said, oh, okay, that's great. That's wonderful. And he says to him, um, and so somehow Martin enters into this gospel conversation with him. And the guy runs back to his car. He runs back to his truck. <laughs> Martin's thinking, what, is he running away from the gospel conversation maybe? No, no, he runs back into his truck and he gets his Bible out. And he goes to me and he says, you know what? I was helping some another bloke an hour ago and he gave me a Bible. And Martin's like, oh, okay. And it ended up being that actually Martin knows this other guy <laughs> that he went to speak to. This is God's providence. This is no joke. This is what's happened. And he, and Martin, and he says to Martin, you know what? My son told me, I was on the phone with him. My son told me that he found this this love. Oh, and I thought he found a girl. But it wasn't a girl. He said, no, 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 Dad, I found the Lord Jesus. And he says to him, I'm praying that... In Australia, in Sydney, someone will tell you about the Lord Jesus so that you would have what I have. And so Martin responds to him and says, you know what? That friend that you, my friend that you met an hour ago and my conversation with you is an, is an answered prayer to your son's prayer. We are to go and we are to be, we're to be intentional about the person that God's placed in our hearts or in our minds or in our context. But we're also to be open to the opportunities that God gives us. So you never know what opportunities God will give you to just spread the gospel. It could be the NRMA person, could be the person at the gym, could be the person at school, could be the person on the plane, wherever. Be open to the opportunities that God gives you to make disciples. It starts with one person that you can pray for. One person to pray for and also praying for the opportunity. Okay, you with me? But discipleship is more than just making like helping someone know Jesus. It's more than that. It's also helping other Christians to follow Jesus. And that's what I want to focus on for the rest of the talk. It's actually walking with 
Follow brothers and sisters together, side by side, as we follow Jesus together. That's discipleship too. It's helping each other. But let me tell you, that's going to take cost. And you've got to be, care- you've got to be willing to do that. You've got to be willing to sacrifice. You've got to be willing to give of yourself, to be selfless, to be other person centered. That's what discipleship requires. And that's, it's countercultural. It's not what we're told in the world. The, the, the culture of our day is me focused. You do things for you. You think of yourself. You think of what's good for you, what's best for you. And let me tell you, it's infiltrating the church. It's infiltrating God's people. I read the Bible for me. I pick a church that is good for me. I will want a church that will serve me, that will serve my needs. I keep to myself and I don't want to get involved in other people's lives because it's just easier. It's cleaner that way. And by the way, Mark doesn't know what I'm saying here. So I haven't checked, I haven't checked with him every single thing that I'm saying. So if you want to blame someone, blame me. Don't blame Mark because I'm going to hit you a little bit hard on this one and the next one tomorrow. So this is a warning. Hopefully you turn up tomorrow. It's easier that way, isn't it? Because if I ask someone really how you're going, they might answer me honestly. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready to to bear the other person's burdens. That's discipleship, by the way. It's costly. It's countercultural. It's not the easy way. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be hard. It's going to be inconvenient. But that's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is never meant to be lived alone. It's not the Christian life. It's oriented towards others. And we see it in Christ, don't we? Christ is oriented towards us. He loves the church. He's given himself up for the church. And the response of the church, the people of God, is to give up ourselves for him expressed in others. Are you with me? It's expressed in others. And so... All throughout the New Testament, there's all sorts of commands to love one another, to forgive one another, to encourage, to bear with each other, to, to forgive, to pray, to do all sorts of things for one another. I mean, the whole book of Hebrews is written to a, to a people who are suffering. They're suffering. And the writer of Hebrews is imploring them together as a people to follow Christ, not to go back to their old Jewish ways, but to follow Christ. But do it together. That's what he's saying to them. Do it together so that no one falls through the cracks. Live for Christ together. What does that look like? It looks like looking out for each other. There is no way that you will know how to help someone else if you're not concerned for them, if you're not conscious of where people are at, if you haven't spent any time with them. The Christian life is less like a lone wolf and more like a flock of sheep, close enough to each other, rubbing shoulders with each other to see the weaknesses of each other and to carry. That's the Christian life. You do need actually to be close enough so that you are in a position to carry each other's burdens. If you're not close enough, you won't see it. And at the same time, you'll be close enough like this pack of sheep together, humble enough to accept help when you need it. You see, it goes both ways. We have to be willing to carry, but we also sometimes have to be willing to be carried. That's the life of the people of God in the church.
We do it together. So going includes helping others become followers of Jesus and helping each other follow Jesus, growing in our walk with Jesus. I know it sounds daunting, so let me encourage you. This is what I encouraged our church at the beginning of the, of the year to do. Just like we encourage you to pray for one person that you can be, praying, uh, be sharing the gospel with, you can just start with one person that you pray about in terms of um, having a one-on-one relationship with, a discipleship relationship with. It doesn't have to be one-on-one, by the way. It could be a group of three, it could be a group of four that you meet up with regularly to help each other follow Christ. That's discipleship. It's a very, very practical way of doing it. We had a goal this year, actually, at church, that half of our church would be in some type of discipleship relationship, whether it be one-on-one or whether it be just a small group. I'm not talking about your growth groups, by the way. I'm talking about a smaller group where you are close enough to share with each other how you're going, where you're close enough and you trust each other enough to confess sins together, where you can be praying for each other, where you can be opening the word with each other and helping each other follow Christ. And by the way, discipleship isn't mentoring. It doesn't have to be this mentoring relationship. This is a side-by-side walking with each other after Christ. So there's, I've now given you two people that to pray for, right? One person to pray for in terms of sharing the gospel with, one person to pray about in terms of sharing life together, helping each other follow Christ. So maybe take a moment to think and to pray. <clears throat> and maybe in the next couple of weeks, maybe even during this weekend, you could approach a friend that you trust and say, hey, why don't we catch up every couple of weeks or every month? You know, we'll catch up at this cafe. We'll share with each other. We'll pray with each other. We'll open up the word together. That could be a start. Maybe you could do it in threes or in fours. But please do it. <laughs> Don't live this Christian life alone. It can't be lived alone. So uh, I do this with a few, few guys at church. We, we catch up. Um, I've done it in small groups and I've done it one-on-one. And it's very informal. But we know what we're going to be doing there is checking on each other and helping each other follow Christ. There will always be prayer. To be honest with you, sometimes we should be opening the word with each other. Sometimes that doesn't happen. It should happen every single time. Sometimes it doesn't happen. But the important thing is, even if that's too much for you, start small. Just start by meeting, sharing, and praying. And then get to the point where you're opening the word together and, and teaching each other the word of God. It could be a Christian book as well. But it needs trust and it needs openness. It, it, makes no, it, it, it won't be useful for you if you catch up together and you put on a mask. What's the point of that? No, no, I want to know how you're really going and I should share with you how I'm really going. So trust is really, really important in these small groups and in these discipleship relationships. It's not a goss session. It's a growth session. Making disciples means being a disciple and going Thirdly, it means baptizing them. We're not going to talk about baptism today. I'll leave that to Mark on Sundays. Um, And fourthly, it's teaching them. Have a look at verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We are to teach. And this happens every Sunday. I have the great privilege of teaching the Word of God. Mark has the great privilege of teaching the Word of God. This happens in your growth groups as well. The Word of God is opened. It's discussed, but it also it, we teach each other 
by modeling with each other. If we spend enough time with each other, we are teaching. We're role modeling Christ to each other. We're exemplifying the gospel to each other by our love, by our care, by our listening, by our encouragement. Discipleship happens all in these contexts. But this teaching doesn't just happen on Sundays or in growth groups. This teaching will happen in your relationships together. In your intentional relationships together. But friends, before you limit discipleship to the church and to small groups and even these discipleship relationships, let me tell you, discipleship starts at home. Discipleship starts at home. I love this passage in Deuteronomy where through Moses, God tells his people, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you, are, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see what's happening here? God wants his people to be drenched in his word. And he wants his people to take every opportunity to impress God's word upon their families. This is what's happening. Discipleship starts at home. If you have kids, teach your children God's word. Take every opportunity to, to bring up the word of God at the dinner table or on your way, on your way to school or at the cafe or on your daily walk, whatever. Take every opportunity. And if you don't have kids, whoever you're living with at home, Take the opportunity. I said to my church this, this, this year, I don't know what the culture is like here, but I, sometimes I, I feel like I've grown up in a church where uh, when I was younger, it wasn't that cool to bring up like the sermon or what you've read during the week or, you know, the word of God. Like it's cool to talk about other things. Make it cool to talk about the word of God. Make it cool to talk about the Word of God at home. Make it cool to talk about the Word of God on soccer field. Make it cool to talk about God after church, during morning tea. Make it cool. Make it the thing you do, that the Word of God naturally comes out of your mouths, not in an obligation sort of sense, but it's just a natural outflow of what's happening in your heart. That's discipleship culture in the church and at home and with your friends. And we get, this, we get this image in the New Testament, in Colossians 3, where Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. You see there? Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Making disciples must include the Word of God to each other. Not just through sermons or intentional meetups, but through our songs, our conversations, our drives, at the cafe, at the pub, wherever you meet, let the word of God dwell in you and through you. And sometimes, for some of you, discipleship will mean that you are intentionally raising up leaders. That, that must happen. It doesn't always have to happen, by the way. Okay? So my really big encouragement to you is to think of discipleship as a side-by-side -side walking following Jesus. And for some of you who are leaders, I also charge you, not I charge you, I don't charge you anything, I don't, I'm not Jesus. I think God charges us leaders to be raising up new leaders. Okay? And so there is, and we get these, we, we get these examples all throughout the Bible. We get Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy, but the greatest one we see is Jesus. Yeah? 
He raises up his disciples, but he focuses on three. And what does he do? And this is a model for all of us, by the way, in discipleship. What does he do? Does he stand at the front and teach from the front? Well, sometimes he did with a really large crowd. But what does he do? He shares life with his disciples. They shared meals. They they ate a lot together. And he would fill them in on the meanings of parables. And they would have conversations. And they would pray together. And they would ask him, teach us this. They shared life together. And so the teaching of God's word happened not just through words, but through our life. And friends, that's what we need. I mean, even yesterday when we were praying together in small groups, I, I was saying to someone at Morning Ted, I loved uh, hearing the younger ones preach. The really young ones. Uh, not preach, pray. That taught me. Even the younger ones can teach us. We all can teach each other because God uses all sorts of things inside the Christian community, the gathered people of God, to teach and to mold and to equip. So be in a position, put yourselves in that position as the people of God in this church to teach each other, to model Christ, to exemplify the gospel. If you're living in your own silos, That's not going to happen. But give yourselves and each other every opportunity to be this, to have a discipleship culture in the church where you know each other, where you're concerned for each other, and where you care for each other. Making disciples is being a disciple, going, teaching, and finally, it's relying. Have a look at this gorgeous promise in verse 20, the second half. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a breathtaking promise. God with us, Emmanuel, he has come to us and he remains to be with us in this charge. You know what? God never sends us out to do his bidding without his presence. This is daunting stuff. It's challenging stuff. But friend, be encouraged. The Lord Jesus says to you and to me, go, but I will be with you and I will enable you and I will give you the words and the wisdom and the strength. What you need to do is go and rely on me. Who is it that God has placed in your life? Whether it be a non-Christian or a Christian brother and sister, that God is pressing upon your heart right now to be praying for. Who are those two people? And in a moment, I'd like to give you some time to be just silently praying for those two people or to be searching, asking God, who have you placed in my life? Who do you want me to share the gospel with, Lord? And who is it in my Christian community that I can walk beside, that I could help? And I can be helped. You know what? We're all people who sort of love to influence others. It's in our being. It's in our DNA. But it's one thing to sort of get a like from a post. One thing to get oh, a post shared. Oh, that's a big deal. If you get one of your posts shared, that's unbelievable. That's another level. But wouldn't it be really good on that last day, where the Lord Jesus is facing his disciples, his people, 
And is that one person that you've shared the gospel with, or that one person that you've helped, that you've helped carry, that you've walked with as they were following Jesus, and you hear from the Lord Jesus to them, well done, good and faithful servant. And you know God has used you in that mission to helping that person know Christ and follow Christ. Let's pray. Who has God placed in your life? Take a moment now to pray silently before your maker and to ask him to lead you and to guide you. Father, we praise you for your amazing gift that you have given us, that we can be called your children because you loved us, you set your heart upon us. We thank you, Lord God, again, because it's all through Christ, his perfect obedience, his, his once and for all sacrifice upon that cross his victorious resurrection, and his ascension to your right hand. Father, thank you for the privilege of being Christ's disciples. And Lord God, we pray that you would help us to go. We pray that you would rid us of our self-centeredness. We pray that you would forgive us for our self-centeredness. Please forgive us for our pride. The times that we looked upon other people and thought is they don't deserve to be offered the gospel. That they would never repent and turn to you in faith. Forgive us, Lord God, for our sinful thoughts, our judgments upon people. And change us, Father God. Humble our hearts to see the measure of your grace poured out upon us. Soften and move our hearts that we may be moved to worship you and to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus to others. Father, renew the joy of our salvation that we may be passionate and zealous to see others experience your love and grace and mercy in Jesus. And Father, we pray that you please do Help us to be that, that, that type of people who are concerned for others to know Christ. Concerned for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Cornerstone Herbert. Lord, would you please bless them. Make your face shine upon them. By your spirit, work in them and amongst them that they would be marked by this love and unity for each other. That this care and concern for one another. 
that they would be marked by a, a culture of discipleship where they seek to, to help each other follow Christ. Lord God, would you please, even from this weekend, be guiding them in conversations where discipleship relationships can start, where intentional discipleship relationships can start. Lord God, would you work in and amongst your people? Father, we pray that you would use us on your mission to see others come to know Christ and to grow in their walk in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.